Uncontrolled Airspace Information Alpha, 1353 Zulu. The members and guests of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. Inform controller on initial contact that you have information alpha. Do you know that a uncontrolled airspace mug works great for scotch? (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to know that. I'm going to have to try. I have found very few receptacles that aren't great. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot quibble with that. In in vino veritas. (laughs) (laughs) The nice thing about the uncontrolled mug is that it has this convenient handle. Yes. Which makes it possible to pour a lot more scotch and drink it and still hold on to the mug. Well, I would just think the handle of uncontrolled and scotch go together so well. <laughs> Especially in, in Dave's thing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, James, you had some yes. sort of encounter with a UAV? What's this? What's What was... Well, it was rather tame, but from my encounter, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more. My encounter was... Uh, what happened? Where on, was this? This was in Sierra Vista, Arizona, and I was at one of the Northrop facilities to kind of see what they're doing. I went to a few of them around the country, and this is one of their centers of excellence that they work on, a UAV I'd never heard of before, frankly, a hunter uh, and that's an Israeli, originally Israeli manufactured. They are being used now in uh, Iraq and other places, uh, although I don't know all the places because some of them they don't let you know where they're being used. Sure. Uh, they were recently outfitted now that they can carry weapons. Uh, Northrop has developed a new engine for this particular UAV, and I know that Northrop is also working on a Navy program with a Firefox, which is a uh, helicopter UAV. And from everything they discussed there, that seems the way the military is going, and I'm sure that then municipalities and other civilian agencies are going to be getting on board. And I think we're just going to be seeing an awful lot more of these things well, hopefully we won't be seeing them, but yeah. I think they're going to. I well, think they're going to. Well, hopefully be, uh, well, we will we'll, be seeing them. That's my whole. That's my whole thing, right? Well, I want to keep them far enough so that they're not even within visual contact. Yeah. Well. So, but I, well, so when you mentioned this, I had this. You just saw one in a hangar or something like that, right? Yes. I, mean, I had yes, this vision I, that you found yourself in the pattern with one, and uh, no, fortunately that didn't happen. That would but, like formation. I, you know, I think again. He, we're going to be. There's going to be more and more kind of uh, close encounters of the fourth kind, I guess. Right. I don't know. I yes, but I don't want them to be invisible. I want to see them. I want them to be part okay. of the airspace. I want them. You know, I I don't see any reason why these things won't fly just fine once they figure it out and mm-hmm. they'll be part of the airspace. I think there's no reason why they shouldn't be safer than the average aircraft because they can have multiple pilots operating them from a remote location and they can have mm-hmm. all kinds of sensors and I mean they ought to be safer than anything, yep. not not less safe. But that's mm-hmm. what I think. but I thought you were going to tell us a story about how you were like you know number two behind the behind the 
you know, <laughs> I could make one up. <laughs> okay. All right. well, why don't you work on now that? That would fit right. right into the scheme of things here. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> While you're working on that, I'm going to say welcome, folks, to episode number 70 <laughs> of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're oh, recording this podcast God, on, I know, 70, on uh, Sunday afternoon, March 2, 2008. And, uh, we're, uh, we're, we continue to be on this odd schedule of, uh, of recording because of uh, all the different... Well, lately it's been my scheduling. I was going to say, it's all your fault. Yeah, lately it has been my fault. But, uh, so uh, this would be uncontrolled airspace from the land of odd. That's right. Mm. Yes. Nothing that's right. new about that. That's right. I was going to say, which is where we're always coming from. Yes. Well, I'm, back in my, I'm back down in Greater Boston now. I was up in Epping, New Hampshire last week, and uh, that's where we recorded. Epping, New Hampshire? Is that what you said? You guys. Okay, you got that out of your system now? No, no. So you're the one who brought it up. It's we'll Epping. Epping. P-P-P. Papa Papa. Ing. Okay. New Hampshire. I figured it was Epping, New Hampshire in the wintertime. And uh, Epping. <laughs> In the summer. It's actually starting to turn warm here, but not not dramatically. It's just slightly warmer here than it's been. Jack, if you ever get uh, too tired, we have actually direct airline service now between St. Augustine and New Hampshire <laughs> on this Skybus. This new airline that, really? that flies out here. to yes, Manchester? I huh? kid you not. No, I believe it. I believe it, 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 oh, it's direct. It's not nonstop, but it's direct. But nevertheless, I believe you know? it's nonstop. No, it's uh, sorry, it's nonstop. Wow. And I don't know if it's Manchester or some other odd place up there. Excuse Maybe some Portsmouth. other odd place. Manchester is not an odd place. No, it's not. I've been there. It's not at all. I uh, better. Portsmouth could be Portsmouth. Could be Portsmouth. There's not an awful lot of uh, airline traffic out of Portsmouth, but there's a little. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, before we go any further, I better say hi to all my friends here in the virtual <laughs> hangar this afternoon. Uh, one of those voices out there is uh, Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. And he's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How you doing? Uh, beware the Ides of March, wherever the Ides be. That's right. Well, it's not the Ides of March yet, but it's getting nope. there. It's yeah, coming up. It's coming up. But Put that on your flyout you calendar. Yeah. You should definitely be aware of them, however. Now, did you? That's da- right. That's right. Now, Dave, did you tell me that the weather turned nice there in the last couple of days? Yeah, it's been. Uh, it, it's. It, I've, it, I've been treating it like a sucker hole in the clouds. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that we, we, as soon as you begin to believe it's there, it closes up behind you. I see. And uh, but yeah, it's been uh, really pleasant up to and including what after the winter we've had has felt like shirt sleeve weather in the uh, high 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty consistent the last two or three days and uh, had a little thunder and lightning here about 45 minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, only lasted about five minutes. You know, probably didn't rain a tenth of an inch. But it feels weird that Friday was still February, and now I'm hearing thunder and lightning. So. Well, it's getting hmm. to be tornado season, right? When does tornado season officially begin, or has it? Next week. Uh, officially begin? Yeah. Uh, I think about uh, I think about the year 10, 1080. I see. Well, it never ends, <laughs> is what you're telling me. Okay. All right. Also here in the virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside. Jeb is an aviation journalist currently serving as editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. And he's talking to us from sunny and nice and, you know, well, I don't know, Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. Blah, blah, blah. Hi, Jack. How are you? Well, you know, this, this episode is two against one. 
Uh, I, I know. We'll get to that two, in a second. Two yeah. of us in Florida. It was two against <laughs> one a couple weeks ago too, and we got over it. We'll we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll do just right. fine. So, no, I, I'm good. Just a lot of a lot of stuff going on that's uh, unrelated to aviation and and uh, you been can't. playing Road Warrior. You've been zipping yeah. all over. It was you were up in D.C. this recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was, was it? So you got a little taste of the weather, right? Got a little taste. It was cold, but it wasn't uh, uh, unbearable. It was, you know, I guess it was right at freezing. Uh, mm. Friday morning, kind of windy, but uh, thirty degrees no. is a whole different thing when you know you're returning to eighty. You know, exactly, so. exactly. Yeah, that's right. So. And also with us in the virtual hangar this week is James Winbrandt. James is an author and an aviation journalist, and uh, and I think I heard you say that you're talking to us from your winter quarters in St. Augustine, Florida. Now, is that where you are, that's, James? That's correct, and and it's great to be in the hangar with all you guys again. And uh, the weather has been quite nice. I came down here on the twenty first of uh january and i experienced enough of the the winter in new york to really appreciate uh, <laughs> the weather down here and the, the flight down was great beautiful day uh although uh, icy cold i had to you know have the plane plugged in before i left and it was in the teens uh but since i got down it's been quite nice and i'm yeah. enjoying it we're gonna have to get we're gonna get we have to get Randy up in Minnesota back on the virtual hangar to mm. to, to uh, put some balance back into this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think they actually are starting to see the top of the snow pile. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, Yay. a freelance writer, and a new media producer. I'm up here in Boston, Massachusetts, where spring is trying, trying, trying to uh, to take hold. A couple more weeks, we're gonna be good. Good. So, uh, so what else is going on here? Let's see. Uh, so it's spring. I mean, it's you know, we, we talk about this. I don't know whether we kind of we beat this beat this a little bit too much. But uh, any, any other things to consider as we get ready to begin flying again? Um, and you know, now that now that we, I mean, forget you, Florida guys. Dave, what's the deal? <laughs> clean out the bird's nest in the airplane. Keep, clean out the cobwebs in the pilot. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, an old old World War Two pilot friend of mine. That that that's his, his the one and two step for getting ready for flying after you've had a layoff, whether it's because of winter or whatever reason. When you come back, you look for the bird's nests in the airplanes and the cobwebs in the pilot. You get those cleaned out, you're good to go. Go get some that, dual. Go go find an instructor. Go yeah, get some dual. Go. Do some landings. Do some slow, uh, some some air work, some some slow flight. Um, get back in the groove. Um, don't try to do it on your own. Um, and, and, spend the money. And even some esoteric, what would seem for us, for a lot of us, a little esoteric. But you know, you might want to bring yourself up to date on what uh, security rules are for GA pilots mm-hmm. at, at a lot of airports, particularly if somewhere along the way you might be visiting a rather substantial airport with uh, airline service, where getting in and out of the FBO may not like be like we enjoy it. You know, out in the rural airports and, and places like Dead Cow, you know, where you show up, park your car, and walk to the airplane. Uh, not exactly the same in some of these places that we've been in Kansas City, Indianapolis, uh, uh, Addison, Texas, uh, uh, Love Field. Uh, it's a little more involved, and it varies a little bit from station to station because that's the way the TSA works with the FBOs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I would also say you know, uh, insurance people are very on the case about things. Uh, 
even though I'm in Florida, I've been busy since I got here. And the, the one trip I took was I had to go commercially, which was uh, an adventure in itself with all these connecting flights. But uh, so finally had a little free time, went out and washed the plane uh, last Last weekend, a friend wanted to come out and go flying, so she helped wash the plane, and I had to have her uh, stay on the ground while I did uh, two landings after that, just so I would <laughs> I would be qualified again and current. And, uh, you know, folks, do the right thing. Uh, obey those rules. They're there for a reason. And if no other, uh, I, I have a feeling your insurance might not pay off if you are not legal to fly. Well, you know, to, if it's been several months since you've flown... And, and you need to do three takeoffs and landings to be uh, current, legally current. That's a really good time to stop and think whether maybe an hour, hour and a half a duel with a CFI or uh, going out with a more uh, more experienced safety pilot. Uh, maybe put the hood on for a few minutes and uh, sharpen those uh, those senses, even if you're not an instrument pilot or a regular instrument flyer. Mother Nature has a way of surprising us from time to time, and springtime, so, you know, that quarter of the year when weather changes can be pretty rapid and pretty dynamic. So yeah. yeah. Now, um, so uh, speaking of uh, you know preparing for flying again after the winter, um, AOPA on their website has a really interesting guide. It's not specifically a guide for coming back after not flying for the winter. It seems to be more of a guide about uh, generally for people who have been not flying for a while and want to get back into it. And uh, uh, quite an elaborate uh, uh, collection of information that they've pr- provided here. Um, all kinds of things about you know how regulations have changed and how to find an instructor and you know just all sorts of issues about returning to flight after being off for a while it looks very very useful very interesting yeah and it, and it's a it's a collection of information and and uh, tips and advice that you can look at and kind of pretty quickly for a lot of us pick out the areas where you really need to do work for yourself as opposed to looking at it and saying, oh, Jesus, i got to go through that whole list. Not necessarily, but there may be some areas on the list that jump out at you where, you know, it really would be smart if I did a little of this. Because yeah. uh, after all, coming back from a great landing is, is you know, really one of the goals. Right. We'll put a link to this in the uh, in the show notes. Um, the URL suggests that this is a member-only uh, page, but it didn't ask me to log in when I went to it, so maybe it's not, but, uh, but it's... Uh, You've got a cookie. I, I didn't think I did, but maybe I do. Who knows? Um, and, we'll put and, the link anyways. If you're not a member of AOPA, well, why not? But I, uh, I was going to say, A, why not? B, they've got something like, what, 420,000 members now? So chances are our listeners are members. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any uh, other thoughts know on, on returning to flight? I'm sorry, what's James? Well, I know that they are also uh, concerned about uh, landing and takeoff accidents and uh a rise, I guess, in those. I'm, I'm working with the Air Safety Foundation right now. Uh, we're doing another video uh, and presentation on landing and takeoffs. And, and of course, we're all focused on the landings and greasing it in. But as it turns out, uh, takeoff landings account uh, in the emergency phase, depending on how, on. if you want to look at the now report, it's almost one out of five. And an interesting thing is where it's like 18.3% of the accidents are in the takeoff phase, and they represent 
of fatalities. So, I mean, there's any, you know, you can sort of slice it and dice it, and there's a way it could be wrong if there were a couple of takeoff accidents that 100 people were killed in some GA flight. But Mm. it just shows that in general, takeoffs can also be quite hazardous. And that's when, you know, if you haven't been flying for a while and you get in the aircraft, that's the first maneuver you're going to do. And you want to be thinking about all this, your weight and balance, what's going to happen if, you know, again, you haven't flown for a while, maybe the engine is going to, that's when it's going to choose a time to maybe get a little persnickety. So really be thinking about those takeoffs too, not just the landings, uh, emergency procedures. Don't try to do a 180 or a 270 actually is what it comes down to. Right. Uh, well, you we, know, uh, you we had get, a takeoff landing here in the in the area, Wichita area, just a, a couple of weeks ago. A uh, local cardiologist and his wife. Yeah, I remember uh, hearing about both no, both pilots. Both pilots. Uh, she was working on her instrument ticket. Uh, he had his uh, flying a, a twin engine Cessna uh, launch from uh, Benton, Kansas. I believe that's one kilo one. Uh, Launched northbound, made a left turn. They were going about four miles away to Jabara, uh, James Jabara Airport, to pick up a friend. And then they were headed down to the southwest to participate in a marathon. And the airplane departed Benton, turned left about 90 degrees, and right into the ground shortly after that. Oh, my uh, God. Not a mile from the airport. Really? Any, any, any speculation on uh, what happened? Uh. I've heard a little bit of discussion of some of the factual, uh, what, what, what's passing is factual information. I mean, we know it was after dark. It was IMC. It was raining. Oh, well. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. And uh, it, the ceiling reports from Jabara may have been high enough for you to say that it was marginal VFR. Uh, yeah. But that doesn't mean that four miles away at Benton that it was that high necessarily. How cold uh, was it? Uh in the 40s, if I remember right. This was the uh, Cessna 414? Yes, sir. I'm just looking yeah, at the... Uh, we don't know what happened, but that's, I mean, you know, a kind of classic situation for spatial disorientation to occur. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a good deal of, uh, of, of instinct in the grapevine around here that that's what's going what's gonna to shake out. Because apparently, I don't know this for a fact, I haven't checked it. But, uh, you know, the the grapevine around here is talking about how he didn't file for the uh-huh. admittedly four-mile trip from Benton to Jabara. Right. Well, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the, I'm looking at the NTSB prelim on this. Uh, this was February 1608, by the way. Um, yeah, no flight plan, uh, night instrument meteorological conditions prevailed. Airplane departed runway 35, 2,600 feet. Uh, airplane was observed flying in and out of the clouds, impacted several trees, and came to rest in the middle of a corner wheat field. Weather was, uh, wind was 0 to 0 at 10, visibility 6 in rain and mist, uh, overcast at 300 feet, temperature 1 degree Celsius, dew point 0. Um, 300, wow. That's well, you know, that's what was. What's that's in what the, was recorded uh, at the special right after. Well, no, actually, that's just all it says. It says weather at the time of the incident was reported. Da 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 da. It doesn't yeah. say where that was reported. I would uh, I bet that that would be Javara because yeah, that, that I, would be the closest uh-huh. reporting station. Yeah. Um, so could this? Go ahead, Jim. Did, 
could this be a situation, you know, four miles so they don't want to file because then they're going to have to go on some extended route instead of just being able to hop over. And they're trying to to maintain VFR with a low, and it's it's kind of a a for disaster. They just were just trying to still maintain control visually. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's you know two or three jumping off points. One of course is filing and doing a full boat uh, um, flight and, and uh, approaching. Which it, 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 would have, it would have added you know fifteen eighteen minutes to his trip. There's no doubt right. about it. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the the other jumping off point is you know foregoing uh, the filing and flying the IFR um, w- without filing IFR and you know flying it on the gauges and and. Uh, uh, even, perhaps even you know doing an abbreviated approach or something like that, and the the third jumping off point, which you know might be the case in this situation, is they tried to go VFR and maintain visual reference to the ground and, and the horizon and everything else, and it doesn't sound like that was um, uh, the right choice. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was uh, really tragic. Uh, doctor, very well thought of, and his wife right. very highly regarded. Uh, I guess he'd been flying. Uh, about three years, and uh, had been very serious about it, and you know picked up his instrument rating recently, and was, had moved up to a 414. Uh, that's a lot of that's a lot of that's, a lot of, that's a lot of ground to cover in uh, not a tremendous amount of hours yeah. done in making the trip. Yeah. Uh, that said, though, we we all know people that have advanced that quickly with that kind of experience curve and you know they're still around thousands of hours later uh but it was right in that window where we know just I mean, from how our many own guts and our own have? encounters that private pilots tend to be a little bit at their most accident prone when we uh when we've got a moderate amount of time and a fresh instrument ticket and a little bit more of an attitude about you know, it, it, it doesn't last long, but there yeah. for a little while, it's like, you know, I'm really pretty good at this. I'm ready to handle just about anything mm-hmm. until, you know, that that second or third instrument trip where everything goes haywire and you realize that you really weren't prepared for this after all. <laughs> You've got the license to do it. I get see, I see that all the time. Yeah. Um, I, w- I want to come back to though to something we we just touched on a moment ago, and that's. Um, um, you know, spring cleaning kind of thing, and uh, how, uh, yeah, la- learning how to land all over again is good, but learning how to take off all over again is also very good. Absolutely. Uh, it's part of my day job, of course. I go through a lot of accident reports. Some of them are, are aircraft specific, some of them are, uh, you know, chronological. Uh, it depends on, you know, how I search the data and uh, uh, th- these kinds of things. But uh, the one thing that, that uh, seems to be, I don't know, perhaps growing, but the one thing that just uh, strikes me as is just really unnecessary type of accident is what the NTSB calls a runway loss, or what I call anyway, a runway loss of control. And this can be on landing or takeoff. It can be... You know, sometimes even taxi, but uh, um, sometimes crosswinds are involved. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes uh, uh, there's a big bounce, and and the airplane kind of comes down wrong, and the whole thing gets out, gets caterwampus, and and the airplane ends up in a ditch or in the weeds or something. Um, these, you know, these kinds of accidents just, you know, I will say they're entirely preventable, but with a little thought and a little planning. And, and you know, just understanding what the airplane's going to do on takeoff, and, um, 
the airplane's accelerating. It's you got full power in this puppy, mm-hmm. and um, you've got to maintain directional control. You, you've got to worry about uh, you know snowbanks, and you've got to worry about uh, uh, crosswinds, etc. And there's there's you know just a little bit of thought, a little bit of planning, it will help you know prevent some of these R locks, as I call them, on on landing. You know the same same kind of thing. You can't. Uh, uh, you can't be steering the thing like you're trying to steer a car. You've got to use that rudder. You've got to keep it on the center line. Mm-hmm. Um, these are just basic skills that uh, sometimes we lose over over a winter or a period of time. Um, other times, uh, we just never really understand that we need to exercise that skill at a, at a particular point in time. Yeah. Well, have you, well, we have you ever it. noticed that there seems to be a tendency on, on some pilots' parts uh, – to do this a little bit faster than is really best for the airplane. Uh, I first noticed it in being taught how to handle a new airplane when the uh, the guy that was giving me the checkout, the familiarization ride on it, kept the airplane on the ground about 20 knots too long. Yeah. Hmm. And the whole thing got skittish on the wheels, but he was just working himself to death to, 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 you know, to keep it on the ground until he was comfortable that this speed would not result in any kind of unfavorable response once he rotated. And uh, so the airplane's getting really light on the wings, and he's trying to hold it down, and it's getting a little skittish on the gear. Why? Uh, because there's a crosswind. Well, because he felt he felt like you, you shouldn't fly the airplane slower than what he was flying it. And then when he rotated, he had so much down pressure on, on, on the yoke that when he rotated, uh, it, there was almost no way not to let the airplane over-rotate a little bit. And then he'd get it retrimmed and established, and the whole time it was 20 knots, way too fast. Hmm. And I wasn't sure that that was habit with the guy. I thought he might just be nervous about flying with somebody, particularly what somebody airplane was this? About the airplane. Uh, I'd rather not do that to the guy. Uh, what type but, of airplane was this? Uh, single engine, four place, retractable. Uh, an experimental airplane, uh, mm, okay. but very similar to a, a number of factory airplanes. Anyway, it it hit me that he had a, a completely skewered, or to me skewed, uh, <laughs> vision of the, of the airplane's mind. profile. Yeah, uh, <laughs> in terms of landing and takeoff speeds, because he flew his landings. Yeah, his approaches about twenty knots too fast. Yeah, and we ground affected. Gee, many Christmas we wow. must have been in ground effect a quarter of a mile before the bloody thing would settle. Yeah. Yeah. it almost sounds like he has some sort of unnatural aversion to to getting too slow, stall spin kind of thing. When when I did my stall series in in the airplane to check it out, you know we were twenty five hundred feet off the ground. Uh, out where there was no traffic, we were on flight following. You know, we don't have anything to worry about. Turned the airplane into the wind, and found out that it stalled almost 30 knots slower than he was taking it off. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So well, on my return to the airport for the first landing after doing my three stalls in the airplane, I do one clean, no wheels, you know, wheels and flaps up, one with uh, uh, wheels and flaps and uh, uh, moderate, and one with full flaps. And uh, when we returned to the airport for my next landing after that, I flew the approach, started out 15 knots slower 
and then 20 knots slower and had him white knuckled. Yeah. And, people and, have and to, how slow we were doing this. Uh, people have to know the, the speeds of the airplane and get kind of, that's, that's, you know, that's dangerous to be flying that much faster. I mean, especially you try to get into a, a shorter runway sometime. And oh, yeah. And it is bad for the airplane also to be putting it down too fast. It just. Well, let me, let me, the tires. Let, let me kind of remind some people, some listeners, hopefully, um, of one small fact with respect to single-engine airplanes, or at least certificated single-engine airplanes. There you go. By regulation, they may not stall in the landing configuration at a speed greater than 61 knots calibrated airspeed. It is the law, okay? It is the certification rules. That's right. So if, if you're flying any kind of a single, a certificated single, a store-bought single, and you're trying to touch down at 80 knots, um, guys, mm. you, you need to rethink some of this. You're giving away um, good 10 knots plus. Yeah, yeah. There's no if, reason if, for this. Uh, if and, and if you're flying a 172 or, or a 150, 152, they're stalling at around 50 to 45 knots, depending on the loading and, and uh, uh, these kinds of things. Uh, uh, Warriors, um, Cherokee 140s, you know, similar similar speeds. Tomahawks, similar things. Uh, I don't I don't have enough time on a diamond to, to or, you know katana or something like that to to really give you a good number. But uh, the, the same thing same thing follows. I mean, there's no reason to be you know trying to going into the flare at 80 knots. All you're going to do is balloon. All you're going to do is eat up a lot of runway until you dissipate that speed in the air and the airplane touches down. If you try to force it onto the runway, well, you're going to bounce. You're going to prank the nose wheel, and that's where we get the runway loss of control. There you go. That's right. And it all gets cattywampus. That's right. It's obviously, you know, you got to be established for for that. It's, you know, a stabilized approach, and obviously sometimes in GA with a crowded pattern, we can't can't be as stabilized as we'd like, but uh, pilots need to have that as the goal and to have that power setting known in the pattern and get set up properly so when you turn final, you've got your power under control. Mm-hmm. And unless there is some kind of wind condition that you don't want to kind of get bounced back into the air because of gust or something, your stall horn should be going off before your wheels touch the ground. Exactly right. Exactly, exactly right. right. I, the, the way I know when I'm doing it right is I hear the stall warner start to chirp before the wheels chirp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, Actually, and, when I'm with him, the way he knows that it's he's just about got it right is when I start to scream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when the passengers start to chirp, then you then you know you're doing it right. Yeah. When that right seat passenger that has been with you for the last 800 miles suddenly disappears to the back seat, you know you're slow enough. Okay. Hey, we have a, uh, a, a tragic example this morning of yes. uh, how this kind of thing can go wrong. Um, at uh, Titusville, Florida, just uh, down the coast from where two, I am, two aircraft, uh, and this, the reports are still kind of spotty. It's not not at all clear what really happened here, but it it does seem that a uh, 
th this was, boy, I mean, this is just tragic in so many different ways. This was uh, during, uh, and I don't know for a fact these aircraft were involved, but this was during a pancake breakfast. Oh, yeah, Saturday morning. Held regularly morning. at Titusville. Um, two aircraft, yes. uh, a Velocity was trying to land uh, while an RV-8 was taxiing, presumably off the runway, but that's not clear to me from the reports. The RV, the Velocity appears to have tried to execute a go-around lost control during that somewhere in there drifted towards wherever the rv was clipped the rv instantly killed both passengers both people on board the rv8 uh and uh and then tumbled and caught fire the velocity and uh since then one of the our, the velocity passengers has passed away and the others oh, he, must have been, he must have been really low when he started that go around to yeah. to have clipped an rv8 yeah, so well, I don't know. Really, it sounds like really. he drifted off the runway. I, it, it's hard yeah. to, you know, we're, we're just kind of need to wait and see what the really story here is. Exactly but, uh, right. Um, but uh, it's a sad, sad situation, and it's just a great, not a great, but a tragic example of what you guys are talking about, that you need to kind of, for all we know, these folks hadn't flown in a while, although it's Florida, mm -hmm. I don't know. But uh, you Yeah, know. We, can't say, we can't say anything about this except to acknowledge that you've you got to really be careful when you're flying uh, patterns at uncontrolled airports, for one. And two, uh, the inverse of going too fast is to get below a speed where the airplane's really controllable in the conditions. And that doesn't mean stall speed. Uh, but some airplanes, and it varies, get downright mushy and unresponsive below a certain point, but they're still flying. Stall horn's not going off. Uh, you're not in danger of it, you know, just snapping into a, a, a spin or anything like that. Uh, but, but the velocity is not supposed to stall. Uh, I've flown them; they can be no, a little snicker to be. One of the things about them with the canard is supposedly they won't stall. No, they they don't really. The I've flown the XL5. I uh, got a couple of hours in one a few years ago uh, before going to Sun and Fun, and uh, what happens is the like with most well-designed canard aircraft is the canard stalls before the main wing mm -hmm. so you get a little you get a little minor porpoising there but the nose never drops below the horizon not even remotely close because as soon as it drops a couple of degrees it's back flying again and you hold full aft stick and all it's going to do is go you know bump and bump and bump Oscillation is awful. yeah in this this instance it you know it's hard to say i mean the the, the velocity pilot might have had too much trim in and went to full power and and uh, you know he, he might have just you know might have had an engine problem. There's there's no way to tell. Yeah. One one could, could have been wake from the airplane in front of him. One important point. That's exactly right. One important point though is neither one of these airplanes, the RVA nor the Velocity, are certificated airplanes. Yeah. Um, and their stall speeds might have been much higher or, or higher than the 61 in, knots that we're in, talking about. In both, so. both cases, the airplanes yeah. are designed around FAR 23 parameters. They are. Uh, it did not used to be consistently so in experimental aircraft. But these days, it's really more and more considered the, the, the way to go and, and very often what the FAA looks at when it's considering an approval on a kit for 51% inclusion is, uh, you know, do the uh, to the handling characteristics, to gradient pressures, and such approximate FAR 23, uh, because that's really proven to be 
you know a pretty good set of uh, of guidelines in terms of stall speed and stick pressures and, uh, and 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 gradients and so forth for the airplane handling. So uh, it is tragic, uh, but it does come you know it does bring to mind that. Uh, Busy airports, uh, no tower, busy days. Uh, mm-hmm. You got to be on your game. Yeah. Yep. And if you're, you know, and like the uh, the, the tragic accident with the uh, cardiologist here in Wichita and his wife are just outside Wichita. Uh, sometimes, sometimes the right answer is no. Yeah, yeah, sometimes the right, right you answer guys is... drive from Jabara yeah. and meet us over here. That's right, and yeah. we'll take all, we'll depart from here because there, there was no getting to where they were going without filing IFR that night. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I got news. You know, the, the way the cloud cover extends to the southwest, uh, you're going to get you're going to have to get higher some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Moving on. Let's see here. Um, Dave, I know you'll be happy to hear that uh, some some members of Congress have uh, pointed out that we in general aviation are the obstacle to uh, space and aviation modernization. Oh, man, I just love it when you push that button. (laughs) (laughs) What? That's not true? Uh, All right, I'm just going to go ahead and mute my microphone. (laughs) We'll just all sit back, put your hands behind your head. Uh, Just unbelievable. I'm going to go get some coffee. I'll be right back. What's the story, Dave? Uh, Just unbelievable that a uh, uh, Senate hearing uh, on on Thursday, you know, the day before Sadie Hawkins Day, uh, good uh, Senator... Junior Senator from West Virginia, Jay Rockefeller, uh, stated in no uncertain terms that general aviation is the obstacle to there being a uh, uh, an FAA reauthorization bill ready to go to the White House to sign because uh, general aviation won't compromise on his insistence that a $25 per flight IFR filing fee for Turman Aircraft be instituted, along with an infrastructure, of course, and a bureaucracy to to keep track of it, collect it, account for it, and, and, and help spend more of it, uh, even though GA has compromised considerably and recognized the need for more revenue by agreeing to some pretty hefty fuel tax increases that kind of do more than the senator's $25 fee. So along with uh, uh, the, the good folks at NBAA, my buddy Ed Bolin over there, uh, Uncle Phil Boyer at AOPA, uh, the folks at NATA, uh, and just about any other alphabet group, Senator, bunk, BS. <laughs> All right, there's just this is unconscionable. Well, you are the sole hang-up here to this thing moving forward. The majority of your own committee. The majority of your own committee, both sides of the aisle, both parties, bipartisan, unbelievable election year, bipartisan, says this is not the way. So, you know, get your your head out of the coal mine, get your head back into the atmosphere, read the tea leaves, breathe the clean air, something. (laughs) But, you know, get off our backs. We've already said we're willing to pay hundreds of millions more a year to help support this. We pay way more than the share you acknowledge in your hearing. 3% has been shown to be also BS, Senator. It ain't happening. It's wrong. 
nine percent, nine percent easy, and maybe more. So uh, you want to you want to you want to see something happen here? Then listen to the heart of your constituents. Listen to the voices on your own committee. Uh, listen to the folks on both sides of the aisle. Uh, send the flowers back to the Air Transport Association. Tell Senator, uh, Congress, uh, President Bush you don't need that late-term appointment to anything, and let this thing move forward. Jeb, Bye. go ahead. Jeb, the Rockefeller meanwhile. just needs to Sierra Tango Foxtrot uniform and get with the program relative to what the rest of the country is thinking about all this. Rockefeller is wrong on so many things here lately. Um, this is just one of them, and uh, um, the 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 better off we're all going to be uh, when he tries to, when he finally figures out that it's not all about him, um, and that uh, um, he he doesn't have the votes. He's not going to get the votes, and he needs to just kind of figure out what he can get as a consolation prize from somebody down the road, and let this bill go on to the floor. If you want to throw your body in front of something, Senator, make it not an airplane, will you? <laughs> yeah, make, yeah, make it a you know a metro bus or something. But uh, now, now. Well, I'm, I'm serious. I'm We're tired. talking figuratively here, yeah. politically. Yeah, if you want to throw your body yes. in front of something for somebody, you know, make it not an airplane and not for the Air Transport Association. And why you would link up with something remotely close to what this White House. And you notice I left out the adjectives. What this White House is supporting uh, just baffles me. Yeah, you know, you've shown such great judgment and such great support helping <laughs> get some GA airplane companies to move into Martinsburg, West Virginia. Uh, the fact that they both bombed is not anywhere near your fault. Your eyes, your head was in the right place. Your heart was in the right place. You helped bring home some earmarked money. I mean, not a bad thing. Uh, so, uh, you know, wake up and smell the Jedi. James, did you have something you want to add here? Well, didn't he not, as he was going on with his uh, indictment and complaint, didn't he also say, and by the way, there's not going to be, we're not going to get this passed at all this year anyway? It's not going to get done until 2009? Did he not add that? It could get done if he'd pull his, his reservations for... Uh, uh, his his demand for for user fees it would get done in in three weeks I guarantee it now whether or not the White House would pass it I don't know or White House would sign it I don't know um, I gave up trying to second guess what the White House is going to do oh about six and a half years ago mm-hmm. but um, um, they've been smelling know. the flotsam for their own shelly for way too long. <laughs> Is the provision to allow for the reopening of negotiations over what it was it not Patco but was that litigation uh, that involved oh, the reopened contract control. negotiations with NATCA. Is that still uh, that was the, in 2881. That wouldn't necessarily have to survive conference for this thing to go ahead. Because my understanding and, is that's a big bugaboo with the White House. They don't want that happening. No, but that that that's not even on Rockefeller's radar screen here, and that's and it's been approved by one chamber and not another. They could very easily get compromised or go away. And if it went away, that'd be one less thing for 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue to object to. Not that mm-hmm. they couldn't dredge up some other make-believe yeah. thing to object to. They seem really good at making up things to talk mm-hmm. about. Uh, you know, I, I'd highly suggest. That the president, since his current political career is nearing an end, get a literary agent because fiction's been his strength. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, moving on. Let's see here. Uh, from the forums, we have a, uh, a candidate for the off-field landing of the week. Uh, this is actually from a, a, a couple, at Boy, least a couple weeks good. ago. <laughs> yeah. Dave, now? Dave, Dave, how, how do you really feel? <laughs> no, 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 don't, 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 don't. Hey, we know how he feels. I'm drinking scotch. Sip Go some ahead. scotch. <laughs> off-field landing of the week. Let's see. This is from at least a couple weeks ago. This has been this story's been floating around for a while. Um, this is uh, three of our own U.S. senators, uh, Senator Democratic senators. Joseph Biden of Delaware and John Kerry of Massachusetts and Republican Senator Chuck Hagel of uh, Nebraska were uh, were visiting Afghanistan and were being transported by helicopter. And uh, apparently, let's see now, this is from a story on CNN.com. Uh, a helicopter carrying three U.S. senators was forced to make an emergency landing in Afghanistan Thursday, military and congressional sources tell CNN. The mil military helicopter carrying the senators had to land in the mountains because of a snowstorm, said uh, a spokeswoman for Biden. Uh, no one was hurt in the incident, uh, said Kerry's spokesperson. The senators proceeded to their destination in, ground, in a ground convoy after the helicopter landed in a field. So. Any, any any landing you can campaign after is. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, I'm not convinced. So so this doesn't appear to have been the result of an aircraft failure. It wasn't like no, precautionary landing. This was precautionary just a precautionary landing. landing due to weather. All right, which yeah. I guess I that just, counts. And they did land off field, although off helicopters. Field. You know. Um, you know, there's no way of knowing whether that helicopter had a, a, a enhanced ground proximity warning system that works in the Afghanistan mountains. So, it'd sure be my preference to be on the ground if I couldn't see in that terrain. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, so, having three U.S. Sounds like the crew made the right choice. Yeah, yeah. No, it sounds like it was a very good choice, and we congratulate them. It's uh, and and having three U.S. senators on the ground in you know unexpected location in the middle of what's basically a war zone is probably not a great thing under the best of circumstances. So uh, nobody knew they were there for the, uh, you know. Consider could have considered the could've, fact could've, that this particular trio takes on a regular basis. I'm sure that Afghanistan felt like a safer place than D.C. That's true. <laughs> but, you know, they, but, probably yeah. had, they had a large portion of the United States uh, military searching them out and protecting them, so I guess mm. that's a good thing. But, uh, could, if it's but, safe enough for Prince Harry. Well, apparently oh, it isn't safe man. enough for Prince Harry, right? They brought him home, right? <laughs> oh, and Matt, Matt Dridge, way to go. You know, boy, brilliant yeah. public service man. Thanks. I, I, I feel so much better now that I know what I needed to know. In the spirit of leaving my rants to one per podcast, I'm just going to walk away from this. <laughs> well, congratulations to the helicopter crew uh, that were flying. And you got to figure they were under some pressure to make it to their destination. So congratulations to them for having the wisdom to realize mm -hmm. they needed to get on the ground. Uh, uh, I, think, I think the pressure they were under was they wanted to be able to use the senators again. Remember, even in military helicopters, there's a great propensity for the flight crew to be the first to the scene of the crash. Yeah. <laughs> now, so we uh, we also have this week um, an, an on-field landing of the week. Um, this is quite a story, and I don't know if you guys have caught up with this. This is from a, a posting in the forums. A listener who goes by the name of Guy one in the forums tells a story. I'm going to read this. It's, a, it's, it's not long, long, but, but it's just amazing. 
they were doing a steep turn so that uh, so that they could take a picture, uh, and uh, and he was the the writer was uh, taking the picture, and his buddy, um, a, a CFI, I believe, was flying the airplane. About halfway through the turn, we heard a very loud bang, and felt something for a millisecond. I think we both said, "What the hell was that?" In unison, I've never heard anything like that in flight before. Bob, his friend, the CFI friend, immediately rolled her upright and announced that he was having to put in an awful lot of right rudder to hold it straight and level, but it was manageable. After he nudged the plane back on course for the field, we spent several tense minutes discussing what the problem was. The consensus was that a bird had struck the tail. Of course, we could not see it from the cabin, but it seemed logical. I was about to offer to take over the comms when he went ahead and called us straight in to 3-0. Things looked pretty good so far, so he did not use the E word. Uh, it was good to see the, see the runway ahead, a beautiful sight. We were doing okay, but I kept picturing a damaged tail with something about to come loose with us at TPA. He says the plane got us home for Bob to make a good landing, which is amazing because, well, look at the picture, which, uh, and there's a pointer um, in the uh, notes, guys, and we'll put it on the show notes, uh, shows the plane immediately after we parked. He said we were dead wrong. The tail was fine. Shocked, shocked, shocked. He said, uh, my friend did a terrific job dealing with the very unusual mystery problem. Let's just say, I think we got a break. You got to look at this picture. I don't know if you guys have yeah. it on your screen in yeah, front of you right now. Yeah, I've got it on the screen. A large yeah. portion of the upper surface of his, I believe, the left wing just tore away. Just a large yeah, rectangle of metal. Yeah, the fabric's just gone, man. Uh, what I, happened? Uh, and they, they, I don't know if I heard anything more about this story, but apparently probably just some sort of material failure that uh, led, there was some discussion as to whether no, or not. Um, I don't think this is a bird strike. No, uh, no. I mean, clearly it wasn't a bird strike. It was a, uh, that's, you know, something about, maybe it just would have gone in any event, but but the conditions of flight caused this piece of uh, skin to, to tear away. And, uh, and I mean, the, it's just an amazing to look at this picture that uh, the, the wing ribs are just all exposed. I'm just astounded this thing was able to generate lift. There's a large portion of that wing is gone. Large, upper, yeah, upper surface. Upper of surface of it, yeah. I'm looking, looking, just following the links here from the forum, uh, going into the Cessna 12140 uh, uh, website forums, and uh, uh, somebody astutely points out that it looks like there, uh, that area of the wing had been patched that uh, yes. the fabric covering on the wing had been repaired at some point with a large section of, of fabric, and it was either, um, uh, I don't know, I can't tell how it was attached to the wing from the picture, whether it was stitched or uh, doped on or, or, or what, but the repair that's, that's probably didn't take. There doesn't take. appear to be any sign of rib stitching yeah. in this picture. No, there doesn't, and... Uh, what it, what appears it's it's hard to tell from from this angle from this picture, um, but uh, it looks like the patch just gave way is the punchline, mm. uh, and it gave way uh, when they were in that turn, uh, sucking a g you know half a g or, or something like that two g's maybe, uh, who knows? Um, but yeah, it's not a bird strike. That's 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 mm. phenomenal though. That's they did a great job. I'm happy to. You know, the, the flip side of this is, um, you know, if if they in fact crashed and there wasn't anybody around to really tell anybody what had happened uh the ntsb might have had a head scratcher on their hands trying to figure yeah, out why the airplane crashed. they would have been looking it, it for these but they would have said we're missing a big section yeah. of this wing though why isn't it here and well right. maybe maybe not it kind of depends on what was left but uh, yeah yeah true uh, 
a good post-crash fire that eats up the cloth uh-huh. and leaves, you know, yeah. even puddles the aluminum. Uh, you may not have known that that piece of fabric was missing. Mm-hmm. But it, first thing that struck me when when uh, I first looked at this is it looks like some signs that there's some rib stitching yeah. on the rib nearest the mm-hmm. camera. And if you if you look, but at I the don't picture, see any others farther down. The next rib, I see some thread sticking up. You know the, the the other good thing here, though, if you want to look at shiny, you know, uh, bright bright linings and whatnot, um, there's very little corrosion. But <laughs> yeah, and TPA is Peter O'Night, isn't it? Uh, TPA? Uh, no, um, no TPA. I thought you meant traffic pattern altitude. Yeah, traffic pattern altitude. TPA is TAMP International. Yeah, I, I, that's probably what he meant, traffic pattern altitude. And uh, um, I I, I'll go back and look for that reference. But, uh, yeah, pecker factor was high. Yeah. Yeah. But congratulations. Way, to, way to go, dude. Yeah. Pitts yeah. guy and his buddy uh, for keeping their heads about them and uh, and flying the airplane. And uh, Well, and we'd have to put that under the uh, excellent landing heading, even though it's not their fault the airplane wasn't flyable again right away. And that's that's you know any landing you can walk away from is a good. Interesting. Landing. He said he needed right rudder. You would have thought, I mean, that maybe he needed drag. You know, or or you know, got to keep the yoke between the right something between the that's, loss. That's the funny of, thing is it was still generating enough lift that he didn't need aileron. Well, yeah. yeah keep in mind too that uh, it, with the uh, angle of attack, you get you know the wind, the wind, the relative wind is impacting the bottom surface of the wing, creating a vacuum perhaps on the upper side of the wing, and there's a lot there to vacuum all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I, so it would have been substantially different if the bottom rather than the top. Fabric oh, huge. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, yeah. We, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Mm-hmm. No, we uh, would be talking about the late. Pilot, yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. but uh, and it think have also been about the drag all that created. That's that's pretty phenomenal. Kudos, hats off, and uh, uh, man, a good, tip nice of the wing for sure. Uh, nice work, guys. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, yep. Uh, I, I'd go buy a lottery ticket if you haven't already. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> following up on a uh, following up on what we categorized a couple episodes ago as an off-field landing. Um, the uh, there's been another triple seven uh, engine control thing that happened here. This is a story from uh, FlightGlobal.com. They write uh, American Airlines is investigating an incident yesterday uh, during which the engine on one of its uh, Boeing seven 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 two hundred ERs apparently failed to respond to throttle commands for several seconds during an approach to Los Angeles. As a matter of fact, um, the incident involved uh, Americans. Flight. Uh, uh, that's right. That wasn't at Los Angeles, was it? It was. Uh, it was. It was uh, Heathrow right. that the other Heathrow one had. Right. Right. It was yeah. descending to. The incident uh, involved uh, Americans flight uh, AA29 or Niner from Miami and occurred at a height of around 2,000 feet as the aircraft was descending to Los Angeles. So. Uh, Boy, um, man. Now you get is, your choice there. If you're landing westbound, then you come up in a cheap motel. Yeah. <laughs> if you're landing eastbound. Well, let's just say you surf the last few yards before you stop. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That is not a that is not a good place to be coming up short any way, shape, form from any direction. They so, practice uh, hang gliding right on those uh little dunes there on the beach right by the airport. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So is there anything new on the, I mean, I, I don't think we know very much about this new incident, but well, is there anything new on the previous incident, the Heathrow incident? The Heathrow incident, uh, we went through, um, on a previous episode, uh, went through some of the details in the um, in a communique, for lack of a better term, the NTSB published on behalf of the, uh, the British CAA. Um, one of the interesting points in that communique uh, had to do with uh, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but basically the uh, <clears throat> statement said that uh, investigation of the fuel system continues. Since then, I've come across something. I, I, I don't know the source. Um, uh, this is dated February 5. It's uh, uh, aviation-safety-security.com. I don't know anything about the website. I don't know... Uh, uh, you know, if they have any access to grind or, or whatever, but um, uh, there's a, a lengthy discussion and uh, some quotes from some other triple seven captains, at least one of whom uh, uh, was um, in the same general area at the same general time as the accident aircraft. And basically, what they're talking about here is uh, super cold fuel hmm. and um, how. Um, the the fuel, um, you know, they're they're flying in at uh, you know three six zero or three seven zero for for several hours, and the accident airplane was coming into Heathrow from Beijing, China, so it's you know been at altitude for some time. The fuel gets very cold. We're looking at fifty, sixty, seventy degrees uh, below centigrade, below zero centigrade. Um, if there's any water in this fuel, or in sometimes even the fuel itself can gel up. Uh, uh, some of these aircraft, depending on the, f- the type of engine and, and the, the fuel that they're supposed to burn, have fuel heaters in them. And, and this yeah. is pretty much exhausting my knowledge of, of turbine aircraft and, and fuel and turbine aircraft well, fuel there's, systems. There's, there's a couple of things that go on. Yeah. First, they've got fuel heaters, like crisp, you say. And there's got additives. Crisp. There's right. additives to help uh, uh, right. lower the freezing point and prevent the formation of ice crystals. That's pressed. Mm-hmm. It's also antimicrobial, so it prevents bacteria. Bacteria from growing in fuel if it sits for a while, uh, but we got a couple of you know. We, now we're starting to get some common denominators. Right. You know the the BA airplane and the American airplane were both triple seven two hundred ERs. They both were running Rolls Royce Trent eight hundred engines. Exactly right. Uh, and they both occurred well after the airplane descended below you know the frigid temperature layers and down where the airplane was uh, in relatively warm air and near sea level and uh, you know i don't know what that means but the more common denominators that come alive the more it gives the investigators and the uh, uh, engineers uh, places to look and and, and eliminate other things so mm-hmm. You know, I'm really hoping that they figure this out before one of these crews or, is not as lucky as these two have been. Right, or before I get on as triple seven again. Uh, <laughs> and and now that we've heard of these two happening within such close proximity chronologically to each other, have they gone back to see whether you know this is something that has been occurring and somehow it's just been well, that's kind of transitory? my question. Exactly, my question. I mean, what has changed here that all of a sudden? Um, these types of events are occurring. This 777's been in service since 1995, as I recall. 
Uh, and I'm, I'm sure the Trent uh, engine has been installed on it pretty much from the get-go. Has there been any configuration changes in these in mating up the airframe and these engines? Or has there been any changes in the engine software, the FADEX software? Have there been any changes in the, in the fuel system, the fuel pumps, uh, the fuel well, heaters? Not- Things Not like all triple sevens are Rolls Royce powered. I, under, I understand that, but yeah. but so, all you know, we've all got of a, Americans are, and so far we've VJs. got no evidence of it befalling any other right. of the power plant and, brands. Has this happened before with other Trent powered triple sevens? I don't know. I'm just kind of asking a rhetorical question. Yeah, sure. Well, but, and it's but, interesting that as long as these aircraft have been in service, that this has just kind of manifest itself. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of the point I'm trying to get at. Yeah, um, and has, this, has it just happening, or has it happened before, and for whatever reason, it didn't get reported? Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's my, my my thinking is you know pull one of them back a little bit more and run some power up on the other one for a little while and see what happens. But uh, this particular website I'm, I'm referencing, we'll we'll have a link to it in the uh, in the show notes. Uh, a couple of uh, very interesting tidbits here about uh, uh, how jet fuel performs in super cool, super, super cold temperatures. Um, and uh, I, I, I would bet to a certain extent it's kind of like, like my favorite yeah, yeah. vodka at super cold temperatures. <laughs> I'm sure I mean, it exactly tastes mighty good. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's exactly the same day. <laughs> Still burns a nice blue flame, but it does it coolly. <laughs> I, I can't add anything <laughs> to that. Over in the forums, uh, they've been having a little bit of a conversation. <laughs> stick, stick a fork in this. Yeah, that's right. Yes. That's right. Uh, over in the forums, they've been having a conversation about uh, how do you do a crosswind landing? Uh, what is, uh, of the two sort of methods that they teach, uh, uh, to, let's, let's call it the wing down method versus the crab method, um, you know, they were kind of going back and Slip. forth on which. Crab. Crab. I, I got to admit, being a big seafood fan, it's yeah, an okay. easy like decision crab. for me. You go with yeah. the crab. Yeah, yeah. so I go with. But the you're crab. going to have to transition. I mean, you can do the crab, but you know, you're going to have to transition to a slip before those wheels tie or you should otherwise you stand a pretty good chance of going off the side of the runway just to just to make sure we're on the right page here for me what crab is is what the airplane's doing to the wind because my my preference is to bring it down straight and level to the center line so you yeah well wait a minute do you have the nose pointed at the at the center line or do you have the wings level and the nose off to towards the wind both well no i got the uh, the wings level and the nose pointed toward the center line you know, it, it's straight down. The longitudinal axis of the airplane is in line with the center line. And well, I'm cross-controlling it. you got to have cross-controlling it. To, I'm to, cross-controlling to, it so it's crabbing to the wind, but it's flying the line that matches the runway. It's flying the line, but the nose might not be pointed at the runway. Well, you can't do Most both. Of the, unless I get really past the, 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 the crosswind limitation, the crosswind capabilities of the airplane, it's pointed down the runway. Dave, Dave. You're not crabbing. You can't be doing both. You can't be, yeah, you're slipping. Go ahead. Keep going. That's what okay, I thought, too. Am I too, slipping to the have... runway, or am I slipping to the wind? You're crabbing to the wind. You're keeping, if you're keeping, the... I mean, if I'm flying straight, if I'm flying straight and level at cruise altitude and in a crosswind, but I've got the airplane flying a steady course. I'm crabbing, but the nose right. angle is off. Right, right. Yeah, yeah I see what you mean. Wind, wind yeah. correction angle. Yeah. Right. But if if you're approaching the runway, and in a, in a crosswind, and you have 
a wing lowered into the wind, you're holding op- rudder opposite that lowered wing mm-hmm. to maintain the center line. In other words, the nose of the airplane is aligned with the runway, the runway center line. That's called a slip. Or, or what I they're calling the corrected. wing. All right, so that's that's what they're calling the wing down method. Yeah. Okay. All right. See, so now I go for the wing down method because I figure that's what I got to be in when I want to be touching down, anyways. And well, you see, now I thought the wing down method was a slip. That yeah. is. Wing, yeah, wing down. down wing is, when one wing is lower than the horizon. Yes. Let, let, let me throw this curve at you, though. Yeah. Why not combine the two? Okay. How would you do? Well, that? a lot of people do. Well, but, people I mean, do. at the rollout, you gotta. You, you know, you would you would crab it. Some people prefer to crab so that they don't have to slip. They just keep the that wind correction angle in, but then when you get down, you know, again, you, you want to have your wheels going down the runway, not off to the side. Right. Yep. So you're going to have to then go into a slip and transition, stick the, you know, a wing down into the direction the wind is crosswinds coming from, kick in opposite rudder and hold it there until you touch down. Right. And it's the need to make that transition is what leads me to use the wing down slash slip method all the way. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, because you don't want to do that. You want to have that set up. It's and, too much work. As, How did I ever work. learn to fly? Yeah, I, I, yeah it really is. I, I, what I do is I start with a crab. Uh, when I turn final, you know, uh, I'll let the airplane find its equilibrium. Um, I'll let it crab into the wind. When my, my goal at that point in the approach is to um, keep the airplane basically on a path that will take me to the runway threshold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I will I will I will let the airplane, you know, find this equilibrium, let the nose point into the wind, whatever it takes, uh, to get stabilized and then, you know, I'll be you know, continue my descent. The closer I get to the threshold, um, I'll start to take out that crab and in compensation I'll lower the um, the upwind wing. Right. So you don't so try that, and do it at the flare point. You do it exactly partway down final. Exactly sounds right. to me, Jeb, like you and I use part of both methods. Well, exactly, we do. What I start with is the crab. What I finish with is the slip when I, when the wheels touch. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's also remember. It's nice to have the nose wheel pointed as straight down the runway as you can when well, it yeah. touches. But right, it's just it's too much work at you know six or eight hundred feet above ground to to try to maintain that slip and fight it all the way to the ground. I'd rather slowly apply it, and you know keep in mind also the closer you get to the ground. Generally, there are always exceptions, but the closer you get to the ground, um, the the uh, less velocity uh, will the wind have. Uh, mm-hmm. The wind won't be as strong close to the ground. When you're at pattern altitude, it could be really honking. That's a sure. lot of crap. I mean, sorry, a lot of slip to hold there manually. And I'm too lazy to do that. Okay, I'm just talking about crabs making me hungry. James, what were you going to say? I was going to say, you, you know, if you are flying a pattern and there's a crosswind, keep that crosswind in mind when you're turning base. And plan on turning final accordingly. If you're being blown... You know, into the runway because you're you're flying the pattern that your downwind is on the upwind side. Remember that you're going to have to turn final more sooner than you would otherwise. Yeah. And and the opposite and the other. So you know, let the wind help you out also to to kind of blow you where you belong on final. 
instead of coming out sort of with you know with blindly just kind of flying it like you would just without thinking about the crosswind and then you're going to be doing all sorts of cross controls uh just to get lined up with with the runway wow this sounds like another one of those many instances where the answer is d depends and i'm not talking about what you wear to bed when you get old uh you know it's going to depend partly on whether you're flying a nose wheel or a tail wheel it's going to partly depend on whether you're flying high wing or low wing too Mm-hmm. Preference. Mm-hmm. It gets down to preference. And I will tell you, uh, the, uh, as, as I had mentioned, we're doing this uh, takeoff and landings uh, piece for the Air Safety Foundation. So they sent out this sort of FYI. But uh, David Wright, who is one of the gurus there, had I haven't seen the detail, but he had some questions about the statistics that were used in this uh, study that uh, is, was the source of this. On the, you know that we all saw. I'm sure, uh, you know that has been distributed and it was on. Uh, Sound like it's going to be something worth tuning and, in when it's available. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So James, what? So you put this on the list, um, but then you didn't give us a link. You wrote Dale Snodgrass's F5, and that's all you wrote. You didn't give us a link or anything. So and you're not talking about a tornado. You're going to. Yes, have- I am. Oh, oh no! Not, talking not, about a not, tornado. Not, not, not a tor- no, I'm sorry. Not, not a weather tornado. An airplane no, tornado. It, but uh, what's the it, story? Uh, I don't have a link. I, I was I had lunch uh, a few days ago with Dale, uh, and uh, to go out to see he has uh, has a civilianized F five that Ooh. is being overhauled. Uh, actually, there was a civilian purchase of seventeen of them, and a contract company is going to be. Uh, operating some of them sort of as aggressor aircraft for training, but Dale has and a partner have gotten one of them, and he is going to be using it in an air show. We'll probably be debuting it in an air show later, a uh, little bit later this year, and it will be the first ever civilian F-5 air show. It's a supersonic uh, trainer, and I went and, and looked, and it's one slick airplane. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, cool. you know, for those of us interested in kind of the newer warbirds now making their appearance on the airshow circuit, this uh, is certainly one to look forward to. Is it scheduled to appear at any of our favorites, like Sun and Fun or, or AirVenture? It was going to be at April, uh, the f- and I there was some delay, so it's not ready, and, and I frankly, I don't know. So I don't have an answer for you about that. We'll have to follow that. Shout-outs. What's going on Hello! here? Hello. So listen, I uh, here's one I've got. Um, let's see. Now they've been t- they mentioned this forums are happening in place, man. I keep telling you this. Um, they've been calling uh, as a thread in the forums that has called attention to the fact that uh, another one of our fellow aviation websites called the hundred dollar hamburger dot com, which I believe is a companion to a, a book uh, that get, comes out periodically. They are organizing a uh, a flyout to have lunch in the Bahamas during Sun and Fun. Oh, really? Oh, very yeah. fun. So, uh, do we know where in the Bahamas they're going? Uh, let's see now. Uh, can you get a hamburger in the Bahamas? <laughs> Jerk chicken, do I know, you do you really care? No, I don't really care. It says uh, I can on get April, a hamburger here on April 10, 2008, right in the middle of Sun and Fun. We're organizing a Bahamas burger run for $100 hamburger subscribers. Uh, you're invited. You got to be a subscriber to this website to, oh. to be involved. 
uh, I'm skimming this. It's a fairly long. Did I, didn't I put a link there um, that goes to the... Uh, there is a link, yeah. Yes. I'm trying to see if it says what the destination is. It's not jumping out at me here. But uh, they, uh, if you're at all interested, uh, we've been talking a lot about flying down into the Caribbean and the Gulf of Mexico recently, and uh, here might be an interesting opportunity for you to uh, give it a try. Uh, of course, get all the proper training, but uh, um, check out the $100hamburger.com yes, and... And uh, and you could proper get training, proper clearance, yeah, proper yeah, equipment. Is the identifier? They don't, they don't say the the name of the airport, but that's easy. What, to what's the identifier? M Y G F. Uh, I'm thinking that's like Grand Bahama. It is Grand. Bahama. Yeah, I think it is Grand. Yeah, Y G F. Yeah, yeah. So that might be fun if you're at all interested. Check out uh, the uh, hundred dollar hamburger. Oh man, and there is so little cooler website. than visiting a foreign nation after an overwater flight in a single engine airplane. One you small, just appreciate land so much when you get there. <laughs> One small tidbit: um, I haven't scoped all of this out yet, but um, the uh, FAA is is talking about how you must have a pilot certificate with the endorsement English proficiency now under ICAO rules to use your airman certificate outside the United States. You got two years. Well, no, you got until March five. I thought you had two years to do that. I thought it was March five is what I was seeing. Uh, let me go to AvWeb real, real quick and see if I can find that. Uh, yeah, I thought March 5 was going to be the effective on. date of the uh, rule and the uh, uh, end that, game. You, I hope you're right, because um, I would very much like to go to the Bahamas here sometime in the near future. And yeah, I don't want to wait for my new... Right, my to new, get proficient uh, in English. I don't want to have to wait till I get proficient in English to Well, go there's there. that, too. Because <laughs> <laughs> for Jeb, that's going to be a long time. I, yeah, I, I'm screwed. <laughs> that's why I want to go ahead and do it until before I do it. <laughs> it's, you While you guys are digging for that. It's never been a bar to people in politics. So why should it be a problem for Jeb? While you guys are digging for that information, I wanted to uh, uh, one more shout out I've, I've got here, um, and that is that the, the EAA website have uh, introduced a brand new uh, version of their uh, aviation events calendar, um, which sounds pretty cool. Um, they've always had a really good collection of it, it all really of is. aviation it's much events more searchable around, the, now. around the country, but now it's better than ever. Um, it's got all kinds of new features like the ability to search by distance from your home airport or zip code to find listings arranged by date, mileage range. range type of event, location, or mm. event name to uh, instantly link from the calendar to an EAA flight planner to map your, your flight plan to your for the journey and uh, to get detailed information on individual events through the web and email links. So, uh, sounds pretty cool. Uh, we made we sort of made an attempt here at UncontrolledAirspace.com to have an events calendar a while ago, but we very quickly we, realized that there We should were, just put the link to theirs on well, our we, site. Well, we did, say, and we have yeah. all along, um, that uh, these folks are just doing so much better job than us that it's kind of they do have a couple of more resources well our our colleague rick reynolds is responsible for a lot of that so our hats off to him so now we're getting into the air show season you want to uh, go to uh to for example uh, for perhaps to the eaa.org uh events calendar and find find activities to uh to uh to you know have some aviation fun this spring Mm -hmm. other shout outs I have I got a, a couple of quick ones. Oh, go ahead. To, to our right. very own Amy Lobota. Uh-huh. Hmm. Uh, last week, I found myself uh, in her neck of the woods. 
uh, I was, uh, and uh, we can talk about this some other time, but in, in the, the subscribers to Aviation Consumer will read about this in their April issue. Um, but uh, I was out doing testing of various airplane tires. Uh, this is a rehash of uh, some testing Consumer did about four years ago. Uh, basically, we're driving up and down the interstate, smashing these tires into the, into the pavement uh, at 70 miles an hour to see how well they hold up. Uh-huh. We had a we had an equipment problem, and we didn't have tools on the truck to fix the problem. But um, Amy was nearby because we were down in in the Fort Myers area, and uh, called her up. She was at home. She and her husband were hanging around the house in the hangar, and uh, wheeled up and uh, grabbed some tools and beat the snot out of this problem and got it all back together. And I cannot thank uh, Amy Mm. and her husband Barry enough. It was uh, just uh, uh, way above and beyond the call of duty, and I'm very appreciative. It's just so, all a big family. That's we're all it's helping exactly each other. Right, exactly right. Exactly. I wouldn't necessarily, you know, suggest that anybody in the Fort Myers area calling me up with a problem like this. <laughs> but uh, uh, in my instance, it did work out, and again, I'm very appreciative. Yeah, David. I just wanted to uh, shout out to my good, good friends and colleagues in the International Society of Aviation Photographers who just wrapped up their most recent meeting uh, down in the Fort Worth area uh, Saturday evening. Uh, wish I'd been there. Appreciate the notes that I got from those of you that were down there that uh, said I wished I was there. Uh, you probably would have felt differently if I had been. Oh, but they don't know you. Good very crew, well. great photographers, uh, and, and uh, aviationphotographers.com is their website. But uh, I don't usually miss two years in a row, but I had some things happening this year that just made it uh, untenable. But uh, rest assured, uh, I will be back to haunt you next year. Uh, second quick shout out to our good friends at uh, Sun and Fun Radio in Florida that have been working to uh, make our uh, participation there on the uh, on the 8th and the 13th uh, everything that we hope it'll be and I uh, hope to see some of you all down there. Yeah, that's right. One more shout out here, real quick, and that's okay. to Mike, Mike Bush, uh, who was on. Oh uh, yeah, Aviation Maintenance Express. Technician of the Year. Exactly. He was on our, one of our episodes here recently. Uh, Mike was recently named uh, National, National Aviation Technician of the Year. I'm sorry. Um, uh, aviation, yeah. A, I'm sorry. Aviation Maintenance Technician of the Year, yeah. national national level. Uh, they do this um, at the FISDO level. That's elevated up to the uh, uh, re, FAA region level, and then all of those winners compete against each other at the national level. And uh, Mike uh, uh, came out on top, and I think That's very great. deserving. Um, uh, clearly, uh, when it comes to considering people who have done a lot to further the quality of uh, maintenance uh, aboard uh, involving general aviation airplanes, Mike Bush is, is there at the top of the list. And uh, our hats are off to Absolutely. him and, and strong kudos. Yep. And we thank and him it just again. goes was- to show that you don't have to be in the maintenance business, per se. Mm-hmm to be an A&P that wins this award because uh, uh, that's, you know, Mike is in, he got a lot of irons and a lot of fires, but he doesn't run a maintenance shop. 
And for a guy that uh, got his A&P on his own, working on the side with mechanics, basically doing his own airplane, took the tests, went on, got his IA, uh, extraordinary accomplishment, uh, you know, tip of the wings to Mike. Uh, Always good having him around. James, shout-outs? I'd like to say hi to... uh Pete and Dewey Quartrup, they own one of the most beautiful twin beaches around, uh, Dewey's Ride. In fact, uh, they mortgaged their house to pay for the restoration. Dewey was recently diagnosed with a rather uh, severe illness, but they're going to keep flying the plane and keep enjoying it. And uh, a shout out to both of them. Oh, yeah, we wish them well. Well, that's definitely the end of our allotted time. James, thank you for uh, joining us. It's always a pleasure when you're able thank to Thank you. Always and, my pleasure. So it's great to uh, be in the hangar. Learn a little well, you know, it's, a, it's amazing how hot air from two sources in Florida improves the weather in Kansas. <laughs> learn more about James Winbrandt and his work by uh, Googling his name. Uh, you'll learn a lot about a lot of his uh, both his aviation work and his other writing work as well. Uh, learn more about Dave Higdon and his work. Uh, eventually, you'll be able to go back to his website, DaveHigdon.com, but in the meantime, you can Google his name, too, and uh, learn a lot about all his uh, aviation photography and writing. Learn more about Jeb Burnside at uh, JebBurnside.com, also AviationSafetyMagazine.com and AvWeb.com, and myself at JackHodgson.com or TechPopuli.net. And check all of us uh, out and uh, read the blog and go to the forums and uh, find the links to the show notes at uh, UncontrolledAirspace.com. So thank you, everyone, for joining us uh, this afternoon in the virtual hangar, and we'll talk to you all again next time. 